Welcome to Dragon Talk. That's a theme song from another show, I think. (laughs) Didn't even realize it, but I'm started humming that. Uh, Hi, everybody. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Shelly. Hi. How are you? So good to be here. Uh, I'm great on this beautiful, sunny afternoon. It is sunny today because we are going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons fun stuff all episode long. We have Ceylani Bailey for our interview today. She's the Dungeon Master for Plot Hunters and is a cast member of Indoor Recess on the twitch.tv slash dnd channel. And we have to ask her about jumping into Dungeon Mastering yeah. on a live stream for her debut uh, behind the screen. And their like, lack of fear. I just don't get it. You I just don't get it. Need to absorb their 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 bravery. Yes. Uh, well, hopefully she can give me some inspiration. Oh, I'm going to give you quest. inspiration. Oh, and that means really? that you can roll two d20s uh, and take the higher number. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, um, that would be a four. Oh, that's the highest out of the two. That's the Was highest. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Not, uh, yeah, not not boating well for drunky two-shoes later, but... Uh, that is what we call a sad vantage. That is a sad vantage, and mm. I could use some inspiration. Mm. Well, well, I'll give you some more. Um, hey, we are also um, going to talk uh, to Adam Lee about some fun lore that you should know. And yes. uh, before we get to all that, though, I want to talk about some fun things that are out there in the world for you to play and read, consume, including... Uh, two awesome things. Uh, there are new dragons miniatures that you can pre-order at WizKids.com right now. <laughs> I've seen you uh, showing those babies off. So yes, you obviously uh, got your hands on some. The Muse, uh, otherwise known as Crafting Muse on the Twitter, uh, who works for uh, WizKids, sent me some really big. Amazing dragons, uh, the sapphire dragon as well as the adult white dragon, and I think I'm getting the chonky boy, the chardelin dragon, uh, very soon. If not being delivered right now, uh, which I'm very excited about. That thing, it was one of my favorite parts of D and D Live uh, 2020. Roll with advantage was uh, seeing uh, V lift those up <laughs> and show them up, uh, and it was very heavy, full of plastic, and I can't wait to. Uh, subject it to my players uh, going forward. It's going to be fun. That sounds wonderful. Yes. Um, and what else do you have that's exciting? In I you? think you might have something that's exciting that has re- recently been released and or talked about. I mean, if you're talking about Betrayal at Mystery Mansion, the Scooby-Doo Betrayal at House on the Hill board game mashup of the year, I'm just going to go ahead and call it now. Um, That's one of the, the then yes. Kids' Choice Awards. That's going to be mashup of the year right there. Totally. It's going to get slimed and everything. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it, uh, that came out on Friday and last Friday, and the reviews have been really, really positive. And it, so if you like kids. Scooby-Doo, if you like board games, if you like betrayal games, you're going to love this game. I am so excited about it and excited that people who are playing it are saying that they feel like they are immersed in a Scooby-Doo episode because that is exactly what we wanted you to feel. 
All of those haunts, there's 25 of them, are based on actual Scooby-Doo episodes. And it's perfect for uh, kids and families to play together. There's yep. no uh, you know, idea that you must be a betrayer or anything like that. It's totally optional. And yes. uh, on the box it says eight and up, right? But you it could does. probably get away with uh, you know, some six or seven-year-olds who know how to read and uh, play along with everybody else. Absolutely, yes. And then in this version, you, you learn the, the haunt together. So there isn't also that moment of like, leave the room, go read this book and mm. figure out how you're going to kill us. Oh, that's smart. Um, yeah. So you do everything together and, and nobody, no characters die in this game. They just get knocked out for a turn because I know that there was some concern about Scooby. They get knocked down, but they get back but they up, get again. up again. And they drink their whiskey <laughs> drinks and their lager drinks. Oh, wait, no, that's not. That's, <laughs> that's, that's classic Scooby-Doo for you right there. <laughs> That's Those high true. school kids driving around in a van, come on. Come on. The Scooby come Snacks, on. we're all a little bit hungry <laughs> right now. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, there's also something that we announced called Curse of Strahd Revamped that is Get it? coming Get it? October 20th. It is a box set uh, of the Curse of Strahd adventure with tons of fun things in it like postcards that you can send to your, your players to bring them into the, the world of Barovia beyond the mists. There's a, a awesome DM screen. There's Taroka deck cards that are uh, a little bit oversized with foil on them. The fo- that, those cards are stunning. I might actually just like leave them out on my coffee table or something. You know? I know, right? It, well, if there weren't kids and animals, that would mess them up. But oh, God, I always forget. I can't have nice things. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. Uh, but I, I would put those on a, in a frame and, and, and set them up. I yeah. love the artwork on those, and this new treatment is super cool. Uh, there's also some soft cover books that allow you to play the adventure a lot more easier without having to have one, you know, single hardbound book. Open, yeah. Uh, which I appreciate. Um, and so that's ninety nine ninety nine. Is that what that retail that's price of that is? Correct. Uh, yep. It's a coffin shaped box. I mean. Yes, talk about things to put out on your coffee table. Perfect time for uh, Halloween, too, because it comes out on October 20th. So if you want to plan uh, some amazing Curse of Strahd gothic horror-themed adventures, well, that's, that's, that's got your name written all over it. Well, it's that got Chris is. Perkins' name written all over it, but there's other <laughs> names. Uh, if your name is Chris Perkins, it's got your name written all over it. <laughs> um, but on top of that, too, Beetle and Grimm's uh, Pandemonium Warehouse, our friend Matthew Lillard and his company of cohorts, is uh, has a legendary edition of Curse of Strahd coming out uh, in a similar time frame. This one's a little bit more expensive, but it's got amazing artwork maps uh, from... Uh, a frequent guest of the podcast. Oh. Oh, Devin Rue did some maps <gasps> of Barovia. Seriously, uh, how does she have time to do anything? I don't I don't know. The amount of creativity that flows from her fingertips is beyond me. My I can't, God. I can't believe it. Um, so yeah, look into that. Beetle and Grimm's uh, Pandemonium Warehouse, uh, their website. You can pre-order it now uh, for a little bit of a discount. And uh, you got two great options uh, for... Yeah. Playing some horrific games. In the best possible way. In the best possible way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also one more fun thing that we haven't officially announced by the time of recording this, but we will have announced by the fact, uh, by the time it gets publication. What do you think I'm talking I about, Shelly Moo? I don't want to talk about it. It's a project that you spearheaded, I believe. Yeah, but you're making me nervous. 
Yeah, but no one's hearing okay. this right now. We, we're going to publish this next Thursday. Okay, let's do it. Do you feel okay? I want you to do it. I don't want to do it if you don't feel okay with it. Nobody can hear us. Spoilers. Spoilers. That's swag. It's a new card game. A new version of an existing card game. Do tell. Are you familiar with The Great Del Moody? I have seen someone in the Wizards of the Coast parking lot with a license plate that says Del Moody. Are you serious? Yeah, something like I am the Del Moody or something like that. Oh, I don't know God. who it is, but I'm, need- I'm sure it's someone who had to work on that game. Well, The Great Del Moody is celebrating its 25th anniversary. Oh, it wow, was a really? Wizards of the Coast card game uh, designed by Richard Garfield. And it is just a really fun party game like the object is to like be the first one to uh get rid of all their cards and then that person becomes the great dumb moody and you're like like i'm the ruler of the table and then the next person becomes the next in line next in line all the way down to whoever ends up having to be like the peasant of the group um and it's just it goes really fast it's easy to learn it's just numbers on cards so like even it's great for kids to play um and that we because it's the 25th anniversary, we wanted a way to celebrate that anniversary because it's still a great game and it's still, you know, very popular. So we made a D&D version of The Great Del Moody. Same and rules, just reskinned. Same rules, just reskinned, all new art. And let me tell you, by this t- time this, this podcast aired, airs, many of you have seen this art and your mind was probably blown. I hope that you've put it back together again so you can listen to this podcast. <laughs> Harry Conway is the illustrator, and cool. he has this beautiful, like moody, gothic-y kind of samurai-inspired is it style. Doll moody, doll moody, the great <laughs> doll moody. No, the art is moody, and also oh, doll moody. Doll moody, I get it, <laughs> get it. Uh, it is so stunning, and so now you have this really, really fun party game, um, family game with, and it just looks. Beautiful. Talk about framing cards. I mean, you'd put frame those up. up. You're, you are going to want to because when we saw his style, we were like, "Oh heck yeah, this nice. is this is who we want." And it's very different from anything that you've seen from D and D before. So I, I think it's going to stand out that way. And Sweet. it's just another like fun thing for you guys to play. That's what we do, man. For especially for families during this time, right? It's something yes. that you can jump into yeah. a lot easier. What's the uh, release date for that? That's November seventeenth. Sweet, I can't wait. Yes. Uh, that's super so, cool. Check it out put it, on, put it on your calendars. the uh, Wizards website if you want to check out that artwork. Uh, there will be product pages and everything galore. And mm-hmm. uh, I can't wait to play it. It does. It sounds similar to, I don't know if I can say the name of this game. I know the name you're thinking <laughs> of. You probably played it in college. I played it in college. I will, yeah. I will say that. We've so all everyone, played a, a very similar version. Which college. I always loved. and, and uh, Not because of the... Uh, the activities that would go alongside it, but because of the game design, it was always just so pure of being like, I'm it's the one pure. in charge now. And and, uh, and you never fun. not have fun playing it, even if you end up being the the lowest ranking member, <laughs> it's still fun. And we always house ruled the crap out of that game. Exactly. Like we, would make, we made a hat for the person, the lowest ranking oh. person had to wear and this, a special chair for the person who was the, in our version, you were called the president, but yes. Um, Yes, I love all that, and I, I love that there's a D&D themed version of that, and it is, uh, uh, you know, going to be a nice addition to uh, the library of games for anybody out there. Yes. Faux show. Faux show. 
Sweet. Uh, well, uh, Mythic Odysseys of Theros is available now everywhere. It's got two amazing covers. Uh, the alternate cover is potentially one of my favorites uh, with its cosmic rainbow colors oh, within yeah. it of the Hydra. Uh, so go to your local game store and pick that up if you can. It's a classical themed, uh, you know, Greek Roman deities, uh, myths, great heroes like Achilles. You can make all of those uh, using some of the rules within uh, the Theros book. And we've been highlighting some of the the deities and storytelling moments and lore you should know segments over the last few weeks. And uh, today I'm going to talk to Adam Lee about some more deities. Uh, So let's take a listen and get some more of the flavor behind the Magic the Gathering plane. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and today I'm joined by Mr. Adam Lee. Hi, Adam. Hello. Hello, hello. Today on this segment where we delve into fun little tidbits of D&D lore, uh, just to know or because it's awesome and you can include it in your game, we are going to continue talking about deities and concepts uh, from Mythic Odysseys of Theros. And uh, our discussion of the underworld continues with Phoenix, a deity now uh, who was able to uh, escape from the underworld, the first mortal to do so. Is that correct, Adam? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Phoenix uh, was a mortal who got killed, went into the underworld, and uh, didn't like it there, apparently. And. <laughs> found a way to get out, uh, which no mortal had done uh, before that time. So what Phoenix did was he somehow realized, and he must have been a very tricky fellow because um, he winds up becoming the god of trickery and deception. Oh! So he apparently had a proclivity for this uh, this, this uh, tech. He left a really bad Yelp review, and then that was all that needed to yeah, happen. He just, he just like got out. one star, and everybody <laughs> was like, get out of my shop. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's all it took. And that's all it took. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so what Phoenix did was he realized that uh, when anybody tried to get out of the underworld, um, uh, Erebos would take his magical whip uh, called Mastix, and he would just go swoosh, and the whip could reach across planes and snag this person and pull them back in. Ooh. So there was no way they could get out. Also, Athreos was like, my boat only goes one way, buddy. It takes you to the underworld, but you're not coming out. Right. And, and yeah, um, so Erebos was the, is the lord of the underworld. Athreos yeah. is like the, uh, the ferryman. Oh, man. Yeah. So, but Phoenix, what Phoenix realizes is that the, only, the way that these two gods could focus in on, um, on a mortal was through their identity. And so what he did was he dipped himself into the Tardix River, mm. uh, which wipes out your identity and it was it was really a radical move of desperation on phoenix's part because everybody even people who die and go to the other world they still have your identity you still kind of know who you are but when to dip yourself into the Tardix river kind of erase and, and who knows what would happen so phoenix did that and then he cloaked himself in a scrap of athreos's cloak which kind of created this sort of magical barrier that both Athreos and Erebos couldn't see. They couldn't find him sort of in their, you know, um, Professor X, you know, Cerebro hmm. being able to locate 
uh, mortals, they couldn't find him. And so Phoenix just skipped out and, um, and, and basically bounced out of the underworld. Um, but when he got out, he realized that he, um, his face like became one of the returned. So the returned are these, you can tell them because they're faceless. They just have two holes for eyes and like a gaping mouth. And so Phoenix was sort of one of these horrible undead creations. Creepy. Um, yeah. But then over millennia and eons, Phoenix clawed back his, his scraps of who he was and sort of invented this new form and probably also through belief of mortals kind of started to move himself up as somebody who kind of tricked the the lords of the undead the underworld and became a god in his own right so um and erebos hates phoenix uh, almost as much as he hates Elia. and um if your character like if you were running a player uh, uh, like a campaign and uh you had powerful enough characters. Erebos may approach you and say, look, if you can bring Phoenix back to the underworld, I will give you all the treasure uh, in the, you know, in my domain uh, because he wants Phoenix that bad. So that could be a really fun high level thing is to try to collar a God and drag him back into the underworld, which would be kind of fun. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So Erebos hates Phoenix because he felt duped and tricked. And he's like, I, yeah. I developed this wonderful system of the underworld and you somehow circumvented it by reinventing yourself. Yeah. And creating a whole new sort of class of people. Um, because yeah, now everyone can do this. Everyone can. Yeah. Um, well, exceptional, maybe let, uh, maybe exceptional humans can, or not humans, but exceptional mortals can, can attempt this. Um, Probably not all quests into the Tardix River um, bring you out. Mm. In a you know, we, it's hard to know. Um, it's going to wipe out your identity. You might emerge with nothing. You might emerge as just like a hollow shell. Um, so the returned are these like kind of class or group of people that they're undead and they have remnants of who they are. And what happens is when uh, they go into the, the river, they split into two creatures. One is physical, which is the body, which is the return part. And then the other part is sort of spirit, which is an Eidolon. And the Eidolon is sort of like the remnants of the identity. And that kind of flitters off to the mortal plane. And then the return sort of shambles back to the mortal plane. Um, and there are kind of... But there are a bunch of different types of return, and it, it kind of is sort of representative of what that person was in life and then who they are in undeath. So if they were uh, an aggressive, angry, uh, hateful person, then they'll kind of manifest as a as a you know a certain kind of you know monstrous return. If they um, you know there's there's return who are kind of mages and they don't they don't quite have the memory to remember sort of how to cast spells and things. So they have to write everything down mm. and there's a really cool, um, the return kind of gather in these necropolises and there's Asphodel and Odunos and Asphodel is, is a place where these mages hang out and there's a temple inside that is kind of like 
It's like the movie Memento. They're writing down all their lore because they don't want to forget it. Oh, wow. And it's, it's like a repository of it. It's like an amazing library of all this lore. And, you know, the, like sort of the legend has it, like if you're a living wizard and you can sneak into that place and read some of this stuff, you're reading things that for as long as dead have been coming out of the underworld, you're reading their, their missing knowledge. So you can gain amazing spells and insights into magic and all that kind of stuff wow. by visiting this place. But does that happen? Do, do return and you know mortals mix? Do they are they friendly with each other? How does that how does that work? Not per, no, not particularly. Like like um, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of returned that are that just hate the living that they want to destroy. Um, the living's capacity to feel um, because the returned they're they don't need food, but they still feel hunger. Mm. Uh, they don't need sleep, but they still feel tired. Like they still feel fatigued. So they're experiencing things in their minds because they have sort of like broken memories of who they were and what they used to do. And a lot of that, it starts to get into sort of frustration and aggression. So so if you're a living person and you see a return, they they might look at you like with curiosity or they might just be going to a murderous rage with you. So it's kind of like a Frankenstein's monster that part of them might long for what you have and either want to understand it and try to pull it out of you in a, in a sort of like weird way. Um, or they might just go at you in a, in a, in a berserk rage because they hate the fact that you have it and they don't, and they remember somehow that they used to, they used to be able to enjoy life or they used to have warmth or they used to be able to feel love and kinship and all that stuff. So mm. it's it, kind of when that was created way back when we were doing it in magic, um, that was sort of the, what, you know, the Greek trope of tragedy, like the ultimate tragedy where these people, um, that there's this sense of they've lost who they are. They've lost their identity. They've lost, and they and they haven't lost it to the degree that they're completely blind from it. They've lost it, but they have shreds of it that they can remember. And so it's a very sad, sad sort of state of being. And, and you know, putting them in a in a in an adventure is is a very um, uh, it, it 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 would be uh, I don't know. It would tell a very very heart rending tale. <laughs> so here's Mike. Well, first of all. Life is wasted on the living. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great trope to yeah. to kind of play into that, like you know, hey, yeah, yeah, you're you're not experiencing it to the fullest. In, in the, and I didn't even realize, or you know, these these return can say that. Like I didn't even realize it until it was yeah. taken from me. And you're not, you know, it's such a great like uh, generational metaphor thing too. Um, <laughs> the uh, but then if this is true, then why? Do people want to come back? Is it slightly better than the underworld? Yes, you know, even though if they're in this like semi, you know, living state, is it still better than just hanging out in Erebos's realm? Yeah, yeah. It's. Um, I think you know. I think like if if I was a mortal on on Theros and I was kind of living my life, doop doop doop, and then hmm. all of a sudden a boulder falls on me, I'm like, ah, bleh, I'm dead, and I go into the underworld, and I've lived kind of a a jerky life. So I'm not going to go to Elysia. I'm not going to be like, Oh, now I get to reap plump ripe wheat all the time. And, you know, sit back in my sunroom and, you know, listen to the lyre being played, you know, like 
eat grapes and have you know sun dappled you know picnics like that's out i i've kind of done some jerky stuff so i'm going to go to one of the darker wards like so let's say i end up in um Tazeris, you know and i'm so what happens in there is that life kind of unlife goes on as normal but if i and it's an eternal existence but if i die in the underworld I start to actually lose more of who I am. And so there's this, these phases of um, people in the underworld. First phase is that they're kind of like, you know, normal people, just a little bit, maybe, maybe they're scared or maybe they're, there's like, it's a horrible place to live. It's like really dark and oppressive and there's just demons flying in the air and there's lamias and nightmares and horrible monsters there that are just kind of making you suffer and be miserable and so you're trying to eke out your your un, your living but you're not really um but if you're if you die then you kind of lose even more life mm. and as you gradually you become sort of like slower and you become grayer and you just sort of until eventually people turn to stone so if you've you know been killed a number of times in the underworld, then you eventually will turn to stone. And so a lot of the underworld is littered with broken statues of people who have met their final, final end. So once I got to the underworld and I see that, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, there's only so much time. So I might live a bit or try to eke out a survival in the underworld. But then ultimately I'm like, okay, I got to get out of this place. <laughs> you know, it's like, the ultimate end is I'm just going to be a stone statue without any life. So in that place, then I might be like, well, maybe I do take the path of Phoenix and try to get out of here and just take a jump into the, the Tardix and, and, you know, hope for the best. So, yeah. Mm. But then is, their experience, are they, you, you mentioned that they're un, returned are undead. They're classified as undead. Yeah. Um, so that, does that mean that they could potentially live forever uh, on the plane of the mortal plane of Theros? Yeah, yeah, they could live. They could live forever, um, unless they're, you know, then somebody finds them and destroys them on that plane. And then, then it's kind of uncertain as to what happens then. It, like, if a return is killed, does the shred of that soul go back down into the underworld, or are they completely, you know, dusted? So, you go to uh, Dark Sun. Yeah, <laughs> you get all straps and buckles. And, yeah, right. You know. Or or spelljammer. I'm not sure which one, but oh yeah, well yeah. you go to you go to another part of the D and D multiverse. Let's yeah, you like. <laughs> um, but there's another cool thing that um, that is that you, you know, like lots of people have tried to find the, their eidolon. So if I'm a returned, and of course once I'm a returned, I have no sort of memory of that, but. There might be some mad wizard or some, you know, cleric or something who's like, I, you know, I can my fuse friend, these back together. Yeah, has come oh. back from the dead. I know who their return body is, and now I'm going to try to find their idol on and try to fuse them together. Um, and of course, that's all up to the DM. You know, it could be just a horrible experiment gone wrong, and that person just like, oh, you know, a mess. Or it could be that that they fuse it together and it's kind of a semblance that they kind of have a grip on who they were and what they were. Or it could be a perfect like, and it's a miracle and everything comes back perfect. Mm. Um, I just feel like that could be a a really interesting quest that's given, not even Mm -hmm. for one of the player characters, but like, hey, the patron is 
say one of these returned or the Eidolon. Yeah. And like, hey, you need to find my other half and help me get the components yeah. for this type of experimental type thing and then deal with whatever the consequences of that are. Uh, that's really that would be fun. Yeah, like you get you get summoned by a by a, you know a rich patron. They take you down into the dungeon and you see this like oh, it's like chain this return. And you're like, oh my god, it's awful. And they're like, yeah, we kind of think we know where their eidolon might be, and it's on an island, you know, way off in the you know Siren Sea. And can you go and you know here's the ship and sweet yeah adventure man. I yeah. love that. Uh, <laughs> and great. then I, I even like what what's the consequences? Like what happens like after that? Like is it a monster that yeah. okay this went crazy? Or you have to put it down or is it feel like it's okay at first, but then they end up doing villainous stuff for whatever yeah. reason? Then what happens if an Eidolon and the Returned are not matched? What if they try to fuse together? Oh yeah, ones that aren't like what happens then? <laughs> All right, so that's that's yeah. really fun explorations of, fun of cosmic. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know what, what happens when you die and then don't die? <laughs> yeah. And, and what gods would you make uh, unhappy if you did that? You know, oh, like, yeah. let's say you do that, and then all of a sudden, like these priests of Erebos are like, oh, now we you know Erebos now can see the identities come back, and maybe it lends you know some high level priests to come after you to, to get that person back in the underworld. I mean, this could start yeah. wars, right? Mm-hmm. That's also yep. true because then Heliod. But what if it's a, a an adherent to Heliod that yeah. you're trying to bring back. And then he's like, no, I want yeah. to come back. And then all of a sudden you have this, uh, this kind of cosmic you've just, battle. You've just sparked a God War. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well done, Martel. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted some loot. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted some treasure, man. <laughs> now the gods are fighting. Everything's blowing up. That's yeah. awesome. Great. Well, tons yeah. of opportunity for storytelling as uh, is always the case with, with D&D supplements in general, but this one in particular oh I gosh, think just yeah. has a lot of great mythic adventure uh, going on and uh, thanks for talking it through. Uh, any questions that could come your way? How What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, I am at at Adam of Adventure on the Twitters. Yes, hit me up. Sweet. And it's so cool to uh, talk to both you and Ari about uh, where you began with this journey with Theros on uh, the Magic the Gathering team and then being able to transfer it into Dungeons & Dragons type storytelling here uh, is fascinating. So uh, it's, yeah. it's got to be cool to see this in the wild. It's great. Yeah, and Ari was a huge part of making this book uh, a reality. So... Yeah, he's, he did some awesome work. Awesome. Well, get out there. It'll be available July 21st, as I said. Uh, and by the time you're listening to this, it is most likely available from your local game store. So hit them up, yes. call them, order it, pick it up uh, as safely as Super you good. possibly can, and uh, start <laughs> playing uh, in yeah. more classical-themed D&D games. I think this is a good thing out there. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, um, my brain is just buzzing with all kinds of adventure ideas when I was looking through this book because... It's not only you get the world of living, but you get the world of the dead. Exactly. The adventure does not stop. And the returned are a uh, a race as presented in the book, right? Yeah, yeah. It's you know, they're I guess, I mean, they're they're, they're zombies pretty much. Oh, okay. You know? But in in Theros, they're just special zombies that they you know they're not quite completely mindless undead. They have memories and they can't talk to you. Um, and some are more intelligent than others. Some are really far gone, but some are, you know, quite sharp and can, you know, you know, have a conversation, and, you know, cast, I think they're, they're, they're 
potential spellcasters as well. Yeah, they can they can wield magic and do stuff like that. Jeez, so that's creepy yeah. AF. So mm-hmm. even if you don't do a full fledged campaign like this, put more thinking talking zombies in your in your games. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think I'm going yeah, to do many that. liches. I think I'm going to do that uh, with my ongoing <laughs> campaign. It's going to be fun. Awesome. Well thanks again Adam. Uh, you're the best. Thanks, and uh, we'll get back to some more fun uh, dragon talk. Woo! Oh man, I could talk to Adam Lee all day uh, about the fun, creative work they have put together for Mythic Odysseys of Theros from uh, its inception in the early 2010s. Uh, and, and the magic side to what you're, you're able to jump in and play uh, in a D&D campaign using Mythic Odysseys of Theros available yes. now. Cool stuff. I'm clearly very inspired. Very much. Inspiration. He was giving inspiration to everyone, everyone. who was listening to that. You now all have inspiration going yes. forward. You better roll high so that you don't have sad vantage. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. Someone who certainly rolled high uh, and has debuted with an amazing show called Plot Hunters uh, behind the DM screen is Celani Bailey. And we're going to talk to her right about now. Okay. Okay. Everyone, let's welcome Celani Bailey to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! Thank you for having me. We are glad to have you. Uh, you may know her as the dungeon master behind Plot Hunters, as well as yes. appearing in Indoor Recess uh, on Roll20. Uh, and you've been playing Dungeons & Dragons for uh, only a couple of years. Is it true that you started dungeon mastering for the first time recording Plot Hunters? Yep. I don't I don't get it. Trial don't by get fire. <laughs> what? Wow. This is what happens when you're really bored and lonely. You just dive <laughs> into stuff and just <laughs> recklessly. But must you, like... Do it live in front yeah, of lots of people. Yeah, I don't know why people? I decided to do that. <laughs> I admire fun. that. Uh, before before you you got here, we Greg and I were talking about that. As um, I am just absolutely phobic of of DMing in general, and could not imagine even with some experience under my belt doing it live. Like I just don't feel confident doing it. But I am so impressed that you could do this. Thanks. I think that the the feeling that no one was going to watch us initially <laughs> because we just started um, kind of helped. But how did you end up in the role as Dungeon Master? Uh, I had basically been wanting to play D&D for a, a long time. Like I, I'd had a couple opportunities, like one shots I'd played with friends, but I never had like a real campaign. Um, and I really wanted one. And I had just moved to Seattle um, I basically decided to do a whole life change. I'm from Mesa, Arizona originally and had been there for like 20 years and was tired of it and decided to basically sell all of my belongings and move to Seattle just on a wow. whim. No okay, job, This is starting no to make sense why you would DM live <laughs> for the kind first of, time. Yeah, I just kind of dive into <laughs> stuff. So I basically had just moved to Seattle, just uh, got a job and it was probably about six months into living here where I basically had no friends because Seattle freeze. Uh, oh yeah, that's <laughs> a real um, And I was just bored and didn't have anybody to hang out with. And so I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to run a game because I'm tired, tired of trying to hope for a random in the ha- happenstance to get me a game. And I basically did an open call on Twitter and on uh, Tumblr asking for, are there any women of color who want to play D&D? And I got a group of amazing players who are all just random people on the internet who are now close friends. 
No, wait. I, I have to imagine that you got more than five or six people that said, yeah, I'll do it. No, we had like, uh, we had the four that I ended up with and like one other person who couldn't. Really? Yeah. And they're from all over? Yeah. Um, I got one player who's actually once in t- two from Texas. So the one's going to college in Louisiana. And then I have one player in uh, New York and one in Florida. So I have to cool. think it was just meant to be that you ended up with such a great party. It has to be. your open like, call. I just, I can't believe I ended up with such an amazing group. And none so of what? them except for Jen had played D&D before, but they all had oh, wanted to try it. So we were all newbies going into this. That's got to help too with the DMing. Like oh yeah, <laughs> just like having, thank goodness, you're all learning it together. But yeah. So how did this? So you you get a response from from this, this group, and how did? So how do you like kind of take the next steps? What do you what do you do to like create this party officially? Um, I basically just uh, we had like a Facebook group going for going, and then we ended up making a WhatsApp, and we just figured out a schedule which is always the fun part of getting these groups together. Yeah. We managed to figure out a fairly steady, steady schedule um, and uh, just got everybody on board with Roll20 and um, and just went from there. Made a Twitch channel, just decided to dive full in and just did all this stuff and uh, overlays, figured out how to do that for the first time. Wow. That was fun. Uh, I like learning new things, so that was just another challenge. Um, and then we just dove in and we started off with Curse of Strahd, which is not really the best campaign to start like a brand new game with new people <laughs> and a new DM <laughs> on, but hey, we did it. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I love how you just like threw out, you know, so many different platforms and apps and it really is a testament to like how those are so integrated with the Dungeons and Dragons experience now. Like, you know, being able to meet people on on, on Twitter, being able to you know, have a, a, a place to congregate uh, and have conversations uh, and, and do all that. It just, you know, it's so commonplace for us now in the conversation, but like those things just didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah, it's amazing to me that like we no longer are bound by just our geographic location. Like you don't right. just have to find the people who are right by you. You can just play with literally anybody in the world and it's great. That's cool. That's, I mean, it's, I mean, a very different experience, but it's, I see some parallels between uh, when I started playing Dungeons and Dragons a lot more in uh, like the early 2000s. I lived in New York City and I was like, oh, I can finally, I, I was like you, I've always wanted to play. I always wanted to get into it, but never really found like a steady group. Um, but then I was like, oh, I'm in the biggest city in the world and I can meet people that way. Uh, and uh, well, maybe not the world, but you know, biggest city in, <laughs> in uh, the East Coast at least. And, uh, uh, and then jumped into it mostly just to find, you know, like-minded individuals who uh, wanted to jump in and play. Uh, and I wish I had had, you know, some of the tools that are available uh, to us now. Um, but it's something that I see a lot of people experiencing now. We're like, hey, Dungeons and Dragons is something that, interested in and now we're we're a lot more uh apt to take that first leap right definitely yeah i think that just it just feels a lot more accessible now yeah yeah and that was always seemed to be one of the biggest barriers people like you said like i've always wanted to play i don't have i didn't know how to get started or i didn't have a group to play with and those even that that barrier seems to be lowering for people now too thanks to all these online resources the other one so, is that people would never want a dungeon master. So it was oh, kudos to you for being yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'll take it on. I'll do it. I was going to say, check your Twitter feeds to see if there's any calls out there for uh, adventurers. It's so fun. Although I am starting to learn to enjoy play, just being a player. 
Because I, yeah, I so Law Hunters had been like the only thing that I've been doing for for a few years. It was like the only game I had. So it was nice to actually like get in with Indoor Recess and actually play a regular character. So yeah, you so you prefer the role of DMing. Yes. But there are elements of being a player. I mean, it's got to be just like, oh, I can just show up to the game. <laughs> you know what? On that's got to be nice. On one hand, yes. But on the other hand, I feel it's, I'm actually a little bit more stressed out by being a player because of not knowing what's going to happen next. Because as, oh. a DM, as a DM, I at least have a general idea of the story arc and I can improv around what my players do. But like going in blind as a player, like having no idea what's going to get thrown at me, that gives me so much anxiety. Yeah. It's kind of like wondering what's going to come through the door of my <laughs> office right now. <laughs> it could be a cute cat. It could be Strahd. It could just be the wind. Who knows? I really don't know. Um, so Plot Hunters has been around for, what, did you say three years? Oh, gosh. I think almost three years now. Let's see. Almost three years? Wow. Almost three years. I okay, lost count. So, I don't know how long this year has lasted, so. <laughs> I, time, I time is a construct. This year counts as three, so really like six years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so is it the, still the same group yeah. of, of people after three years? Okay. So tell us a little bit about plot hunters in general like who who are the people in this group who are the the types of characters your types of campaigns that you like to run so we um i've been doing the um pre-made adventures because i'm i was new to dming when i started so i just like i didn't want to have to come up with the whole world building because that's so much work and there's so much detail you have to come up with so i was just like no i'm just gonna play like the established adventures and just go off of that um, but my group is, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to pull up my thing because, you know, <laughs> mind blank. Uh, but I've got, uh, I have uh, Adriana Alessandra who plays uh, Alina, who is our half drow barbarian. And uh, it's one thing that's really great about this campaign. And I think just campaigns in general, being able to play uh, these characters for so long is you get to see their whole character development over the story arc and so <laughs> that finally happened it's Strahd it's Strahd at the door <laughs> it's Strahd <laughs> uh, and with Alina's character so of course she started out as your typical kind of buff um, hard edge barbarian like no friends just really really tough girl um, and she's developed so much over the course of our, our adventures just she has developed such a strong bond to her friends, her companions, and you see a much softer, more vulnerable side to, side to her as she encounters things from her past. And it's just, a, it's been really great to see Alina develop. And then we have Ashley Gosha who plays um, Cruz, who is one of the comic reliefs. I mean, they're all funny, but Cruz is like <laughs> one of my favorite characters. Don't tell my players that. I'm not going to tell. Cut that part out. <laughs> just we'll, we'll gloss um, over that part. Yeah. No, no. Uh, but Cruz is. Um, he, he's a mess. He's a hot mess. Uh, he is a, um, he's a Goliath blood hunter bard, although half the time Ash forgets uh, if uh, that they're a bard. Um, <laughs> he went, he like uh, ended up uh, multi-classing like halfway through. So it was like, hey, I want more spells. Okay, we'll just take bard and then forget that you're a bard and can do all these spells. It's great. Um, but Cruz is... Relate. Yeah, Cruz has had a, a messy life. He basically uh, started off as a in, as part of like a wandering tribe, and then broke off, became a pirate, um, had an affair with his captain, Captain Rousseau, stole a bunch of money from his captain, bailed, 
And then just recently they had to go to Luskin where they had to deal with that captain. So that was a fun, fun time. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, and then we also have um, Jen uh, Ogawa who plays, who is another tough person who started out, uh, she's a, a wood elf monk and she started off like another tough person who had a really rough childhood and just kind of very shielded from everybody around her and she also has developed a much softer side i mean still tough and still hard edge but like um very very loyal to the people that she's been journeying with even though she hates everybody else hmm. uh and uh she's just she's fun i'm i'm hoping to develop a bit more of her characters or a story arc because we've we've touched on some of the stuff from her past so far but um she we need to get into some of the deeper stuff which i'm hoping to do with this next next arc um, and then we finally have uh, PB, who plays Mira, who is another <laughs> comic relief in the game. Mira is uh, pretty much polar opposite of everybody else. She is a Asimar rogue who is basically an aristocrat, socialite, very rich, not an adventure at all, but somehow ended up with this crew and uh, has learned the harsh realities of adventuring and life in general, just being on the road with these people. That's awesome. I like it. I love the theme of like, you know, I mean, because many of, the, as you said, the folks were new to playing, but like, let's start with some baseline, I wouldn't necessarily say tropes, but like, here's some common character types and then how over the course of the three years, there's been these developments and changes and it's, it's cool to hear about how it probably dovetailed with, you know, comfortability of, of this character and how to take it to new areas. And, and I love that you're planning out arcs so that you could be like, oh, well, this is, we're going to delve more into this backstory in the next, you know, few episodes. That's really yeah. awesome to hear. I, I really enjoy bringing, uh, finding ways to relate NPCs to the characters. And I just feel like if, it, if you have a generic NPC, that they're just going to care only so much. But like, if you manage to tie in very details of their backstory into that NPC, like probably my favorite NPC is Drillaxel because he was revealed to be, spoilers, uh, Alina's uncle. Uh, oh, so that's, that's cool. a fun oh, thing. Oh, and uh, there's a point in a story where Cruz ends up faking a relationship with him. It's hilarious. It's so good. <laughs> Cruz on that his thing fun. again. Uh, but that's, yeah, just finding different ways to take these established NPCs and make them a part of their lives. So did the whole thing with Cruz and the captain, did that play out in the game or was that just part of Cruz's backstory? Um, so the majority of it was his backstory, but I wanted to bring it in. And that was kind of That's part awesome. of his, it, we touched on a little bit with, uh, we did Waterdeep Dragon Heist and um, Jarlaxa was originally supposed to be kind of the main villain. But I, when I started tying him into Alina's backstory, it, the relationship and everything, the dynamic changed. And so I was like, okay, he's going to be a tentative ally instead. Mm. And we ended up going nice. with Cast Lanterns as the main villain for that one. Um, and when <laughs> when Ash decided to go fake the relationship between Cruz and Relaxel for, I can't, I can't, I can't remember what the plot reason was, but it was just so so hilarious. And um, given that Relaxel is kind of the, the pirate king of Luskin. I was just like, okay, we're going to tie this into his pirate backstory. So Jared Axel knows Rousseau, knows the captain that he had an affair with, knows who Cruz is and what he did. And maybe he's having some issues with this captain and wants Cruz to take care of it. And um, we, I kind of presented that during that story arc and they backed off. The, the players um, didn't really want to go that route at that time. Um, but 
for the the Luskin adventure. It's just like, okay, they're going to face Russo this time. <laughs> like, they're here. They're going to run into him. Um, so that, a little bit of that got to play out. And basically he was, Russo had basically kind of um, uh, did a coup against Earl Axel in Luskin and oh. uh, booted him out of the city. And uh, they basically had to go and uh, take care of Russo. And I was surprised no, I shouldn't like, be surprised. Take care of him. Take care of <laughs> I mean, that was one of the options. And I was surprised <laughs> that they didn't let him die because he was going to be executed. Mm. Um, but I, actually, I shouldn't be surprised because they're not like murder hobos. And they actually do like, they have a lot of emotional attachment to various NPCs. And so in the situation, they actually broke Rousseau out of prison. That's and cool. um, Cruz and Rousseau had kind of a, a final goodbye moment. And Rousseau left. Man, Went well, off to sounds, other adventures, who knows? It sounds like you've done such a great job of integrating stuff that's pre-made, right? So the Curse of Strahd, the yeah. Waterdeep Dragon High stuff, all the things that, you know, the, the people here at Dungeons & Dragons give you all the seeds to be able to do it. Um, but you've made it your own, and it feels like your own story. And I think we sometimes get uh, conversations with people who are like, oh, I don't like doing you know, these big honking 250-page adventures because it feels very linear and I'm not being creative and, and all these things. And I'm like, well, no, you can. You can take those cues and, and run with them and make them your own story and make them feel very personal like you've done with, uh, with all these episodes of Pod Hunters. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, just that's, I, that's a fun part is just figuring out, digging through the details of the, the stories and the characters and just figuring out ways to weave it into what our players, what my players want. Yeah, it's. I think a lot of people too feel like it's all or nothing with like, I'm either going to run a pre-made adventure and I'm going to go page by page by page or I have to create my own from scratch. And that's, like you said, a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like going along with what Greg said, this Russo character is basically, an, you pulled a, an NPC out of a player's back background. And I just, I, I just really love the idea of, of weaving all that stuff in like that. Like you, like Greg said, you've done a really good job of customizing the adventure and keeping your players immersed in it because you're really listening to their backstories and adding to it. Thank you. I love backstories. I, I, I do that's too. So, yeah, that's just one more of to play favorites. with. Absolutely, more to devastate my players with. It's great. So speaking <laughs> of devastating your players, uh, I'm going to call Greg out on something I forgot to call him out on before. Oh, Greg. Killed my husband's character in their D&D game. Um, and Bart came upstairs after the game. And I was like, how was it? And he goes, my character died. And I was like, oh, like not really. He didn't really die. Like he almost died, but they brought him back. He was like, he's dead. And then I, it just, it was so sad. But he, like he was, I was more sad than he was because character death is just always sad for me. But um, have you, have you lost any characters? We did, and, and it was hilarious. Oh, <laughs> because it was about good attitude, I guess. I think it was like three episodes into our first, uh, our first uh, season. We were doing Curse of Strahd, which is always a a very challenging adventure to run, and yeah. um, we had a situation where uh, the they split the party. Uh, two went one way, two went the other way. They were fighting werewolves mm-hmm. and direwolves. and uh, it was Cruz and Mira who'd gone off in one direction. Mira got. Um, was uh, knocked unconscious and Cruz was carrying her and was faced off with some dire wolves and decided to lay her in the middle of the road, 
so that he could go off and fight these wolves, not thinking that, hey, there's three wolves. One of them's going to go after the body that's in the middle of the road. So Mira died, like, almost as soon as we started playing the game. Um, and fortunately, like, they had um, Rudolph and Ripton they had already made friends with, and he had a, a scroll that could raise her. So then she got back in the game. But what was really great about this, it was hilarious when it happened. And there's just like, okay, well, hey, we, we did, we, we are all learning. And we finally had our first character death. So we got that out of the way. Right. Um, but eventually after Waterdeep Dragon Heist, we played through Tomb of Annihilation. And <sighs> there's the situation with the Soulmonger and the Death Curse. Right. And so pretty much almost as soon as we wrapped up the things with the Cast Lanterns, the Death Curse was released and Mira started to waste away because she was the only one who had previously died. Oh. So that put a time crunch in on that whole adventure of them going to Chalt and um, defeating uh, Sarah Rock and defeating and uh, getting rid of the Soulmonger. And it just created this tension and just like just put them on this like time crunch. And they were just, it was great because the whole adventure was just so much more tense than what Waterdeep Dragon Heist was. Like, Party Dragon Heist was kind of our, we did that right after Strahd. So it was kind of our, we got out of this really dark area. So let's go have some fun and see what kind of trouble we can get into in this city. Palette I mean, there was, there was like mm-hmm. it, really great dramatic moments, especially with Alina, because she had a lot of backstory stuff in that particular adventure. Um, but it was just kind of to get them in a big city and see what they do. Um, but it was great to go from that to just this very tense, like we have to go deal with this so, this death curse, otherwise Mira's going to die permanently this time. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's a great, great way to weave in stuff that happened uh, previously in the plot with like, okay, you know, because as written, yeah. Tomb of Annihilation, you, your, your patron gives you that quest because they're wasting away, right? But you can be like, well, I, we don't need that. We have this actual, you know, something that you care about, one of your party members that has the same affliction and what a better uh, way to raise the stakes. Yeah, it worked out really great. Um, but I do want to say, I did not kill <laughs> the oh. character. It was very similar <laughs> yeah, I to... Get, I didn't give you a chance to rebut this. So. It was very similar to what Silani uh, happened, where like the player just made, like, the, you know, got knocked unconscious in five feet away from a zombie and yeah. the uh, or a skeleton, I think, and then the um, the cleric of the group was like, "Oh, he's down." And I think even as me as the DM, I was like, "You know, your your party member is unconscious right next to you. Are you sure you want to use your turn to attack and not at least to spare the dying?" You know, as a cantrip that he had, he could have you know automatically stabilized him with just a bonus action, and he chose not <gasps> to. With a bonus action, even? Yeah. Like, it wasn't even his turn? I like, gave, he didn't have to... Because that was always my issue with playing a cleric. I was like, ugh, I don't want to waste my turn healing you. <laughs> I want to do right? something cool. <laughs> Which I get, I get. But if you're on the... Yeah, right. So I gave him every option, and it was bad luck, too, because he had two death saves, which he failed. Uh, and then yeah, because he yeah. got damage from the skeleton, he automatically failed uh, a third one. And then I'm like, all right, well, you had well, we used the mechanics as they were supposed to be used. <laughs> to be fair, he didn't say Greg killed my character. I projected that. That's my own. <laughs> he said my character died. And he really he, I said, Well, what are you gonna do? And he was like, I'm just gonna make a new character. Like, yeah. he was he was actually okay about it. I know. I'm the one that was having the issues. I think he really wants to have a zombie character, which I'm like, oh, maybe I don't know, we'll see how that works. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Maybe we'll use it, do the whole thing. We're like, hey, we'll use all this to, to make you know the, the characters come together and be more uh, 
in you know in, entrenched in the in the backstory of the world. Well, he got killed by zombies. Yes. Yes. His character. So it's possible. So there's the dilemma of yes, <laughs> becoming a zombie. Right. Maybe he's been, uh, hate, uh, he knows. A, an awakened zombie uh, with with sentience. You know, we'll see. Yeah. Lots of fun possibilities. Yeah. Um, but I think what's you know, what I want to go back to with you, Silana, is like how you're taking. Um, I don't know. It feels like you just quickly mastered a lot of the nuances of of dungeon mastering, uh, and I think a lot of people. Uh, my co-host included, approach dungeon mastering as something that is really, you know, a stiff climb, right? Like you got you to gotta know a lot of things and you learn on the job, as it were. And I, what can you say to people who want to start playing, you know, similar to you do about, uh, you know, what's necessary for the dungeon master role and, and, and what kind of tips would you give someone who's wanting to jump in for the first time? Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. Why do they do all before. say that? <laughs> because the thing is, you're not, it's not going to get... It will get less scary uh, when you actually dive in. Like, it's more the anticipation. But once you mm. actually dive in and do it, then you're, you're okay. But a lot of it is just... I don't know all the rules, and I don't memorize all the rules. We can look those up as we go. But being able to improv, being able to think on your feet and just make stuff up very quickly <laughs> helps. But also just you don't have to think of everything. I think that's a, a big thing, big barrier where a lot of people think that they have to know everything about this world. They have to know how to respond to everything. Listen to your players. Listen to what they're talking about. Listen to what they're speculating about. What about this NPC or about this plot line? That will write most of it for you. Yes. Yes. And you can learn you as are you go. Because that's clearly what, what we were saying earlier, that you've been weaving some interesting plot points just based off your character's backstory. So yeah, yeah, I can see that. And I've completely changed like plots just because my character or my players just came up with a better idea just through their speculation process. And I'm just like, I wasn't thinking of that way, but this is interesting. Okay, make a note. <laughs> so did you guys do any sessions before your live one where you guys just practiced? Because you said a lot of them were new as well and you were sort of new and or did you guys just go into it and just... Roll some days. I don't think we did. <laughs> it worked we, out. I can't remember if we did. I think we might have had just like a character creation or, or like just a meetup, but uh, we just dove into it. it yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> now I'm thinking like that, that's a really good idea. I've had a couple of games where I've had session zeros. Like, yeah, we really should have done this, <laughs> but <laughs> we got we got lucky. No, it all it all worked out. And please tell me that your time in Seattle has gotten better. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've been here for a few years, so yes. Okay. It does take a while for the freeze to thaw, but once it does. Yeah. And then we had a, a pandemic, and now we're all stuck indoors, so that's great. We're yeah, but frozen. you already have a head start on this whole playing online thing. Yeah. Most of us are still trying to figure out how to do that. <laughs> so that part's good. Uh, do you have Actually, do you have good advice for people who are starting to uh, move the their games online or considering moving their games online, either as DMs or as players? Um, I have only played online. Like, I, I've, I tried playing a little bit in person years and years ago, but, like, as far as, like, my regular games, uh, they're all online. And it's not, it's not as much of a barrier as you would think because you're still, if you're playing, like, on a video chat, which is what I recommend, um, you're still, still seeing each other. You're still interacting. Um, and... 
you know, Roll20 has been great as far as like um, if you need a map and you need like tokens and stuff like that, or you can just do theater of the mind and that works. Mm-hmm. Cause we actually started off while doing theater of the mind uh, style where we didn't have any maps. And eventually I got uh, into like, learning world 20 and learning how to do maps on that one. And then I got addicted to it and started spending way too much time making maps. <laughs> um, and so uh, that's what we use. But um, I know a lot of other groups that just, just describe things and it works perfectly for them. I've been yeah. doing a mix There's- of, uh, of video of, uh, miniatures. Basically, I'll, I'll basically move them around, uh, but invariably they ask the same questions that they would in a theater of the mind style game. Anyway, they're like, "How far away am I?" I'm like, "I'm, I've got four cameras, so that you can, <laughs> you know." But it's still hard to count like exactly how many squares away and things are. So it's yeah. mostly for window dressing. I think at this point, it just makes it look a little bit more uh, immersive, uh, but it's still basically a theater of the mind style game. Yeah. Yeah. There's just there's so many resources for everything nowadays. Like I feel like what you're saying um, that you started playing uh, when before long before we had all this stuff. Like I feel spoiled with um, all the amount of resources that we have for for online games. Yeah, yeah. Even I mean, have you uh, experimented with Sirenscape at all, or using uh, audio during your game? Uh, yeah, we use tabletop audio. Oh, yeah, How does that work? and. I do. I do this actually just through my mic when we play. I just have it playing throughout on my on my desktop, um, but it works great. Just creates a little bit of ambiance. I love that. Yeah, yeah, that adds a lot for sure. Next is smellovision. If we can create <laughs> aromas, you know, like cantrip candles are a thing. That's awesome. But like, if we could get that transported through the camera. Yes, Let's leave that up to Beetle and Grim. Here's I feel this like nice that's blood that candle. They would do. <laughs> blood candle. Yeah, it smells oh like a death. <laughs> Skeleton. Kind of, yes. Scratch and sniff adventures. Oh, right. I, yeah. There's lots of possibilities okay. there. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Gen Con Online. Oh, yeah. That was just yesterday. <laughs> How was that? It was great. It was a wish we had longer to play because we just, just uh, started getting into these characters. But we're hoping to maybe um, uh, get into a little bit more of it maybe later on. So we were playing um, with Indoor Recess. We were playing uh, Kids on Bikes. And that was actually oh, really fun. Yeah. Very I and Norman simple. worked on that. Yeah. It was it was very simple to learn and uh, it's very role play heavy and I really enjoyed. Uh, we I think we all played pre made characters and they were great. Um, but yeah, we had just kind of started really getting into our characters and then we the two hours was up and oh, uh, but we're yeah. hoping to hopefully maybe on our channel at a later time just continue the storyline because it was really fun. That's no, great. were you the DM or a player for that? I was a player. Yeah, um, it was oh. the Masuhag Haig was uh, the uh, DM for oh, that one, and, nice. which is great. Yeah, yeah, I love uh, kids on bikes is one of the most evocative names ever. I just like you say it, and you're like, I know it. I feel it. I'm, I know I'm there. exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And as you do, my really yeah he put a lot of thought into it and like in fairly short notice too but yeah it was it was so much fun there was a whole like great 80s vibe i think it's our game took place in 87 oh that's so awesome yeah Yeah. and it's hilarious because we have katie may playing with us and um she's a 90s baby so she was like not getting all these 80s references (laughs) we pick on her way too much about being a 90s baby we really do the 90s baby. I know. It's it's amazing to think there are people, you know, who are adults who were born I know. after we're born in the 90s. 9-11, right? I feel they, like they, they should still be children. Like, yes. too young. They should be 
No. <laughs> but they're adults. Yeah. yeah. I blame their parents because one thing I'm doing is making sure to like have, you know, 80s music playing at all times in my house, <laughs> getting them, you know, the basics. We watched a lot of like Flight of the Navigator and Girl Just Want to Have Fun and all these like oh old gosh. school 80s movies, uh, you know, the, the oh, preteen ones, not that. necessarily the post, you know, uh, 16 Candles Breakfast Club yet, but, uh, you know. Not yet. Yeah. Almost. Uh, I was playing Motley Crue and... Um, <laughs> As I want to do. And Quinn came running into the room and he ripped off his shirt. (laughs) And then he was like, "Uh, uh, uh," like devil horns and everything. I'm like that. I've never, I never said, hey, when you hear this kind of music, take your shirt off and put up the devil horns. It's in his blood. (laughs) Like you just innately knew what to do, my child. I'm (laughs) so proud of you. It must be all the wrestling he watches. It does. <laughs> I feel like something's yes. coming back. Like uh, my most recent like thing that I've been obsessed with on YouTube has been watching um, like teenagers react to like old like rock videos, and mm. it's just like it's really interesting to see like reactions. Like this is all stuff that I know, but like you guys have no exposure to this whatsoever. So that's actually really interesting. What is their reaction? Is it a positive reaction? It depends. Well, it depends on the group and it depends on the song, but like it's some of it's pretty interesting. Would, a lot yeah, of it's positive. I remember, remember that that video that was going around with like kids seeing a rotary phone for the first time and <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out how what to use it. What is this? <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. It's true. My girls, yeah. uh, they're watching the Babysitter's Club uh, series that's on Netflix. And oh, I've heard good things about that. I used really to love good. those books. I know. Uh, my, my oldest uh, has been reading the graphic novels, uh, actually. They adapted them in it so she has like a frame of reference but yeah they they call out the phone that every kid in the in the 80s and 90s wanted that was like see-through it was like yes i was plastic. gonna say it's gotta be the clear one it's gotta yes. be the, clear oh, one. the lights flashing when you get a that. call and yes. uh they they call it out on babysitter's club of being like you know this is this is a phone from the before times <laughs> from the before times <laughs> ask your parents right. how yeah. to use call waiting exactly no, I had a Mickey Mouse phone. That was that was my dream. Mickey Fancy. Mouse phone. Do you remember the Mickey Mouse phone? No. He was holding up his hand and like that's where the receiver was. Remember the Mickey Mouse phone? I, yeah, I vaguely remember that now. Oh, it Did it sing or something like that? Did it have like Mickey Mouse? I don't remember that. And club. look, the weird thing is that I was never that into Disney or Mickey Mouse. So I don't know why <laughs> I needed it so badly, but it was a big moment in my childhood. There are lots of things like that for sure. Uh, so yeah, that's why Kids on Bikes is such a great evocative, you know, yep. TRPG because yeah. like, oh, I, mean, I get, I look get at what, what just what happened. I know we went down. A- <laughs> we just went down a, a path for ten minutes <laughs> about the eighties. I know, and then we just got to get in some, uh, some, you know, old school D and D references in there too, and then all of a sudden we're in Stranger Things. There yep. you go. <laughs> See how that happens. Oh show. Okay, uh, so, so yeah, you've been doing uh, indoor recess as well. So what's that was uh, my question? Yeah, what's tell us about your character that you've been playing there? Oh, so we are playing. Uh, I'm playing Shushua, who is a Air Genasi uh, Tempest cleric, and mm-hmm. it's the first time I've played a cleric. And I had, I tried playing a Tempest cleric in like some of the one shots that we did with Plot Hunters, um, and I really enjoy playing a Tempest cleric. It's so fun, just the fact that I just damage people just when they hit me because lightning and stuff. I'm electrified. It's great. Um, but oh, uh, nice. we're playing through the Mythic Odysseys of Theros, so which is a really interesting setting. And with her character, 
Um, she is Nyx born. So she's basically born of the gods. Mm -hmm. And her story is that she came into the world fully formed. So she's actually only four years old. Oh, And as a result, she's very uh, naive and just very innocent and doesn't understand how the world works. And she is in this group uh, with these wonderfully chaotic people (laughs) and just learning as they go. Um, but it's it's been so much fun. Just I love playing. Everybody else kind of puts a lot of thought into their backstory, and I like playing a character who basically has none because mm. she just came into this world and is learning everything and absorbing information and um, just reacting with kind of this this hilarious innocence to everything. It's great. I love that. That's got to yeah. be really good for the dungeon master too, because you, you can teach a lot about the setting and world just by having your character not necessarily know the ins and outs of the metaphysics of everything. Yeah. Do the other players know that she's only four years old? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, she, let's see, we have uh, Troilus, who is kind of our our big jock character, who um, essentially, we haven't fully fleshed out how they met, but essentially he has kind of adopted Shushua as not really a daughter type but like a friend who he's just kind of helping guide through the world so she's just learning a lot from him and kind of follows him around (laughs) everywhere so what was the story of like how did this group get together Hmm. so that's what we're kind of going through right now (laughs) um we we got together somehow but uh essentially our story starts off with us in a um an academy for adventurers and we had our group and we got in and most recently we, dis- we discovered that uh, we may not have gotten in on our own merit and there were other forces involved and um, we we are in trouble with the god of lies, Phoenix, um, who may have contributed to uh, us, <laughs> the deception of us uh, defeating a Hydra to get into this academy. So it's like we're figuring stuff out, out about ourselves because we're like, oh, we just thought that we beat the Hydra and got into this exclusive academy. Oh, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that happened. <laughs> really? Yes. It's, it's, uh, it's particularly with uh, involving Wanch, who is a uh, Carlos Luna's character who is, who worships or well, now I'll say worships uh, Phoenix and his relationship with that God and things that he may have done and mm. the debt that he now owes to that God. Which having to owe a debt to the God of Lies is not a good idea. Uh-oh. I love, a- you know, how the, the, just in your description, it's already like feels so evocative of the setting yeah. that we've been, uh, you know, talking about. And uh, what's it like doing, you know, because you were mostly in the Forgotten Realms with uh, plot hunters. What's it like being in a setting where gods and deities, you know, can have real influence uh, on, the, you know, what's going on with the characters? It's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying having them so close. Because again, like I'm, as I said before, I'm like, I'm really intimidated by playing, being a player because I don't know what's going to happen next. And the fact that the gods can just take a, a form or like uh, just come down and just actually directly talk to you. Um, like we had, oh gosh, TK Johnson is our, is our DM. And TK just has an amazing narrative voice, especially when it comes to scary things. And there was mm. this scene where uh, Fenix um, kind of whisked Wanch and uh, Daphne, um, Kitty May's character, uh, away in kind of a dream state to kind of confront them about, hey, you owe me something. I got you into this academy. What are you going to do for me now? 
Um, but the whole scene was so creepy the way TK like narrated it. I was just like, nope, nope. This is this is a horror movie that is happening right now. This, this is your worst nightmare. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, just it's so intimidating to have because we all have like the gods that we worship and the gods that we or at least the gods that we think that we have a relationship with. Um, and it's just it's, it's kind of terrifying to have this this powerful deity talk to you and request things of you and possibly smite you if you don't do what you're told. Yeesh. Yeah. Dude, I mean, we've oh, talked to TK fun. a bunch, uh, you know, both behind the scenes, but here on Dragon Talk about weaving in those kind of horror and, un, you know, not even horror, but just like uncomfortable moments for your uh, players as a DM. And it's something that I'm not, I, that, that's not my strong suit as a DM. I'm not necessarily good at doing that. Uh, but Me neither. She has got, or they've got it down to a, a science. Yeah, it was just, I, I go back and replay that in that scene because it was just so good. What's the balance there as a DM? Because you want to challenge your players and you want them to have fun and you want to create, you know, hooks that are going to you know, engage them. But like the horrors that are like, you know, doing things that are really like kind of pulling the rug out from under them. And like, where's, you know what I mean? Like, where's the balance be- between like becoming their adversary as opposed to like their storytelling. I like think you just really have to get a feel for your players because obviously everybody has a different threshold or different types of things that they like. And um, I know with plot hunters, like my players, they are more narratively driven. They like developing relationships with NPCs and they like, um, they like to, <laughs> they like to overthink situations <laughs> and what did this person mean by this? And so I use a lot of that, like a lot of things that when I pull the rug out of them, it's not usually anything big. It's usually just kind of using the fact that they overthink everything for, for my, to yeah. my advantage. I can but yeah, that. you just really have to, to get to know your players and get, and get to know how they think. Yeah. And that's important. I have, I've, I have in the back of my mind, I will always have, the like I have to keep overcoming the idea that the the dungeon master isn't actually against you because mm-hmm. my first ever D and D campaign I, I felt like there really was a very adversarial relationship between the DM and the players like he really did seem to want to get us and like was <laughs> mad like when we beat monsters and like really just like was like oh you're gonna get it now <laughs> like I'm really gonna take pleasure in like dealing damage to you. And then, so I just thought, like, well, that I guess that's how it is, like, players against dungeon masters. And then the second group that I played in, it was completely the opposite. And I, but I didn't know, and I kept like coming after the DM, and like I was adversarial towards him. I was like, oh yeah, like, well, what are you gonna do about it? Like, and he's just like, I'm just trying to tell a story here. Like, why are you so <laughs> angry all the time? <laughs> so like, hearing stories like this, it like it brings me back to that. Like, no wait, they're 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 not trying to like kill your character they're yeah. not trying to like you know challenge you in a negative way this is all you know part of the story and they're they're trying to make you have fun and keep the, the story engaging yeah but like i try i try to make things challenging but at the same time i try not to let myself get frustrated if they're not as challenging as i thought it were because it happens <laughs> and um the great thing about the situations where the players outsmart me is that they they feel like they outsmarted me. They or they outsmarted the situation, and that makes them feel um, confident, and that's a good thing because they you know they're heroes, right? 
And that's the overall goal. Yeah. This is you're I don't want helping. them to feel downtrodden from being beaten down too many times. No. No. And, no. and you no. mentioned the word balance uh, a bunch. I think it is it is a you know, you want you know, some fights to feel really tense and you know, you're not sure how it's gonna turn out, but not every fight, because if that's every every moment is that it also loses its power. So you want yeah. Have a few where oh yeah they they you know they beat up some uh, some skeletons or something a lot easier and they outsmarted you know the tactical situation and then you know the third fight or the fourth fight is something that's a little bit more more challenging and then those can have more weight to them right yeah and I find that um, not just relying on on monster stats but also just um, situational challenges like um, having um, having NPCs that they have to protect around or having things that they can't uh, making the situation so they can't just beat their way through it um i mean they can but there are consequences if you don't like if you let this person die or if you let this thing get out of get loose or um or lose sight of what the goal is um there can be other consequences yeah and i think uh the breadth of um streaming shows that are out there right now is being really instructive to new players as well as new DMs because you can be like, well, I can have that style of game that is, you know, more adversarial with uh, uh, the dungeon master trying to win and and you know be a good foil for the things. And some people really respond to that. And then there's others that are now being seen, you know. And it sounds like uh, Simrani, this is a lot more of your game where you're you're talking more about the the characters and the plots and the things that are important to them. It's not necessarily like, hey, I you know beat up this monster and got X amount of XP from it. Um, you know, and and by having all this breath be online, so that people can you know pick and choose and, and see like, oh, that's more my style or that's more my style. I think that's just contributed to the breath of people wanting to to jump in and play this game. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, just yeah, being able to see that it's not just one style of gameplay. Yeah, you got lots of different things you can do. And it can be different from session to session too. Like sometimes, like oh, this session is going to be more like this, or arcs, as you're saying, like oh, this is going to be a lot more tense. You know, pulp. Uh, uh, you know, discovery of, of of a jungle for Tomb of Annihilation, but you know, well, the Waterdeep arc was a lot more like, hey, we're having a little bit more fun, even though there's still going to be some some tense moments within it. And, and having that progression, uh, I think, is something that I don't think a lot of dungeon masters really thought about in the '80s, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> just hack and slash, right? Which is yeah. fun too. Sometimes I just feel like doing that. Yeah, yeah. We're Absolutely. all spoiled. There's so much content out oh, yeah. there and so many ways to, to watch it and see it and learn from it. So are you excited about um, uh, the Curse of Strahd box that we just announced uh, that's coming out there? Or would you ever take your players back to Barovia to revisit I, w- some I of don't that? know if I'm necessarily going to take the plot hunters, but I have been wanting to run Curse of Strahd again. So I'm just like, ooh, I wonder if I can get like another just kind of uh, a single adventure group together to do that because... Uh, it's it's funny because like when I was going through the first time, like it was of course our first adventure, my first time DMing, and it was very challenging because I I hadn't really figured out like my voice yet as far mm. as you know narrating and and playing these NPCs and um, so it was really kind of clunky. Um, but now that I've kind of gotten uh, a better sense of my voice, I kind of want to go back through and just give it give it another shot with these with these uh, NPCs and the whole adventure. 
Plus, it, plus there was a lot of stuff that our, that Flanders didn't hit because there's a lot you can do in uh, in Barovia, and uh, so I kind of want to go through with another group and just see see what they do different. Yeah, cool. I would be curious. Would you ever want to be a player in that campaign? Oh yeah, yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I agree. That sounds fun. I want to jump yeah. in now because <laughs> there's something cool about like you know revisiting stories that you've been uh, after after now having all this knowledge and be like, oh, I could do it so much differently or play yeah. it uh, in a way. And then, you know, it's always about what different characters are, are involved in all that too and the choices they make. So it's just, yeah, I can't... Again, I don't know if that's necessarily something that people did a lot uh, in the previous decades of Dungeons & Dragons where they're like, you know, I want to go back and do, you know, Tomb of Horrors again, uh, for, you know, but now you know there's this idea that like oh we can continue to revisit some of these classic stories and and get a completely different experience from it. Yeah, that's one thing I really liked about Waterdeep Dragon Heist is the who had the four different uh, foils yeah. and different paths you could go through, so you can definitely replay a lot of that. Yeah, my players did not <laughs> jump into Dragon Heist as 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 much as they I wanted them to. I love the the urban campaign, and they were just like, we just want to. They were actually the style of player that just wants to go into dungeons and and and, and bash stuff, and that's not the adventure to run for that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's important to know too when we're talking about getting to know your players. Yeah, what types of campaigns they want. Super! I'm so excited yeah. for uh, you know you know you you've jumped in and uh, become this you know voice of streaming and doing stuff on on plot hunters as well as now in uh, into a recess and uh, you know I hope you're as you know we were talking about in our intro Shelley like I think you're now an inspiration for everybody listening to to I see that it's are. not that difficult to to I mean certainly is Myself some difficulty included. yeah yes yeah, so when 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 do I get to play in your game Shelley. I mean, you know, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna work on that. Yeah. <laughs> you say that every time. Just start uh, with start with a one shot. Just start with a one shot. That's oh, actually one of the things that we did with plot hunters because um, none of my players had DM'd. Oh, except for I think Jen um, had DM'd before, and uh, I was just like, "Hey, how about we just play a couple series of one shots where you guys can just try?" And so all of my players have DM'd at least one one shot, and it's been great. You know, I think what, what I'm going to start with is an encounter. And just, just, just get because that's, that's the part that scares the crap out of me the most. Like, we can wander and meander and tell stories all day long, but like, that seems like well, that's when all the rule stuff comes in, and I have to like know things. So I think if we just start there, just get it over with. Just yeah, start in media start res, right? Like, <laughs> yes. oh, we're in the middle of a fight; things are happening. Yes, I'm just gonna. Everyone will sit down, take a sip of their beverage, and I'm gonna say, "Roll initiative." Yes. Okay. Roll initiative as you take a drink. What's in this yeah. beverage? <laughs> <laughs> save. Make a con save. You'll find uh, out. You're all dead. Yeah. All right. Great. Session's over. Let's drink. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it. Yeah. Dungeon Yay. mastered. Well, thank you so much uh, for uh, coming on and talking to us. Uh, how can people find out about uh, you know when the next episodes are landing? More about you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mistress First, and you can also pl- follow um, Plot Hunters, which is at Plot Hunters, and Indoor Recess, which is at Indoor Recess with three S's. Uh, all on Twitter, we post whenever we're going live with any of the stuff that we do. Um, plot Hunters, we play every Saturday at 5 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash Plot Hunters. Um, indoor Recess, we're playing um, on Tuesdays at uh, 8 p.m. Pacific on D&D. And... Uh, 
yeah, any other random uh, shows that we were doing, any any other um, fun uh, games we're playing, we post on our Twitter. So just follow our Twitters. Sweet, awesome. Thank you so much uh, again for being here and uh, spreading inspiration to all all, inspiration tokens to everyone, including mostly Shelly. Yes, everybody (laughs) should DM. Just just they're raining down. Here they come. Oh my god. Oh, I am definitely inspired now. I have got all types of D20s that I'm rolling with advantage uh, after speaking with Silani. That was so great. They are falling from the sky. It's just a constant. Here they go. Here they go. Oh, my God. Inspiration raining down on me. Cloudy with a chance of D20s (laughs) in your face. Ow. Super fun. Um, I just love people like Silani. In our community. That's true. Because they make everything better and lift us up. Lift us up where we yeah. belong. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of eagles. I'm just going to let you know because I've been Me going too. to, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Lincoln Park. And I think there's an eagle that roosts near there because it's always flying around. And I think it's a bald eagle because it's got the, you know, kind of white feathers Wait, on the head. This and then, is a really dumb question, but... There are other types of eagles? Sure, there are other. I mean, They're not all bald eagles? <laughs> I mean, maybe around here, most of them are all bald eagles. Um, I just know. always thought the white, the white feathered eagles were the only eagles. I think there's other eagles. I think that's why. But I don't know. I mean, there's the Philadelphia eagles. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> they exist. <laughs> and there's other birds of prey, like the Seattle yeah. Seahawks that are uh, right. potentially. But those are, hawks are a little bit smaller usually. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, why would you call out a bald eagle, eagle if, they're, if they were the only types of eagle? I mean, like, right. that seems like a weird thing to It could out. have been a rock, an ROC, huge-ass bird that, uh, you know, has it, troubled many a and d character in the day. It could have been Flapper. Flapper. Did you happen to see him I did. roosting at Lincoln Park? He was very flappable. I do see eagles um, by my house a lot. They're right in the sky above me, getting chased by seagulls and crows. That seems to be the activity that we observe the most is them yeah. being like, get out of here, buddy. She's just very bold. I know. It's a little they're like so you know, tiny compared to... like they're But they're a party and they work together and they get rid of the big bad. I have seen that. But if you compare a crow to an eagle, I'm like, you're delusional, dude. But they, they are relentless. They right. do not give up. And it doesn't seem like the eagles really fight back, too. They're just kind of like, we're no, just gliding. No, they're just like, just they just deal. soar around. They're like, oh, look at how big my wings are. Oh, <laughs> look at my nice bald head. Oh, uh, Maybe I'm they're America trying to lift everybody symbol. up, though. Maybe they're like, lift us up on yes. eagles' wings. You can fly in my wake. You don't even have to flap your own wings. Oh, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's creating like a, a, a you know, thermals yes. and whatever that the crows can ride on. They're not actually going after them even and though. And maybe all that squawking is really just them like cheering. Like maybe they they are as excited to see an eagle as we are. And they're like, everybody loves an eagle. Like, an eagle. An eagle. Like we do eagle. when we yeah point and squawk up in the air. That's, yes. All right. Yes. I'm seeing all this. Mount Rainier and eagles. Those are two things that always just stop me in my tracks. Like, I know. Oh when there is a there great is. view of Mount Rainier, uh, which doesn't happen very often, just to, so you guys know, we're, we live in Seattle. It's about 60 miles away. 
and every once in a while you like turn a corner and you're like, oh my gosh, mm. that mountain mm-hmm. looks amazing. And sometimes yes. you don't even see it at all because of the haze or the cloud cover. Um, but when you do see it and it is snow capped and wondrous, you're like that. And I can't huge. believe that is a thing that is from the earth 60 miles away from me and it feels right. like it's right in front of my eyeball, my eyeballs. It's, it's insane. And could kill us. It's true. It makes me feel like I'm an adventurer uh, going yes, to does. Mount Doom or something like that to throw the ring of power into the lava and destroy it forever. One day, maybe. One day, we shall climb up there. And, In the meantime, uh, I'm going to hang out at the local tavern That's and right. have some mead. And I'm going to meet a lot of amazing people like we do here on Dragon Talk. Right, Shelley? Yes, like we just did today. Like we just did today. Yeah. Um, we enjoyed the time spent with you. Thank you so much. Uh, if you enjoy Dragon Talk, there's a couple of ways you can spread the word that we would really appreciate, uh, including just you know posting on social media if you liked an episode or, or enjoyed the conversation. Uh, not to mention making a review at your various platforms that you listen into it, whether it's on uh, Apple Podcasts or Google or Spotify or any of the myriad of uh, platforms out there. Uh, spend the good word. We love to get more listeners and get more people talking about lifting each other up while playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's kind of our uh, our mo. And yes. I want to give a shout out to Ryan Marth and Lisa Carr from Siren Sound, who are the producers behind this year' podcast, uh, as well as Pelham Green and Sean Mayowski from Wizards, helping us out with the visuals of uh, video posting and all that fun stuff. Takes a village. And of course, Shelly, for being awesome. And of course you, Tito, for guiding us all. Uh, I'm, I'm like the eagle. You guys are all just are. Uh, squawking. We're all the seagulls that are just <laughs> cheering you on. <laughs> Not trying to, to make you get away from our babies. What? Or something what like that. Whatever. I'm not sure. Uh, no. People, how would you like to get in touch with Shelly Moo? How much would you like to get in touch with Shelly Moo over the Twitters? What's the best way to do that? You got it. You can find me at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. That's it. I'm what about you? Greg Tito on Twitter, Greg underscore Tito uh, on Instagram, which is where I posted the pics of the two dragons you can pre-order uh, from WizKids right now, the adult white dragon and the adult sapphire dragon. Uh, do it. And uh, I think that's all except getting people to download Dragon Plus to your phones and devices uh it is a bi-monthly publication with tons of previews and interviews about all things dungeons and dragons uh from the studio as well as our partners out there and it's free completely free tons of great stuff in there for you to download including maps and adventures and all that fun stuff you can get that content on dragonmag.com if you don't want to download anything to your phone and then, of course, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com for all of your questions regarding how to get into the game, especially now uh, when we're still quarantining and playing online. So there's a lot of resources there, including one called The Yawning Portal, which is a way for you to find uh, groups and uh, you know post games that you might be playing if you're the dungeon master or organizing an uh, online session. Start there. Yawning Portal is where it's at. We debuted it during D&D Live uh, uh, 2020, and I think it's a great tool that we can all use going forward. Super cool. Uh, you can I, also sign up for the D&D Newsletter on our website. D&D Newsletter. I mean, if you're just like, you, if you like the news. I like news and letters, yeah. and I like to receive them in my electronic mail client. Your electronic post. My electronic yes. post. Yes, of course. 
Um, and if you want to join the official Dungeons and Dragons Discord channel, there is oh, yeah. tons of conversation going there, as well as um, you know being able to meet a whole bunch of D and D players that you may want to schedule uh, sessions with. That's another great avenue for getting together uh, during these times. Sound good? Options, options. Yes, we need them. All right. Uh, so, Shelly Moo, Drunky Two Shoes, your Tabaxi alter ego character, has been on a mission trying to find your litter mate, Daryl Two Shoes, uh, another mm-hmm. Tabaxi that was played by me for a few sessions in one <laughs> campaign that we had I mean, two or three years ago. Drunk, uh, he's going through a lot to find him, and it seems like maybe she could just ask you. <laughs> She is now in a port town uh, after being confronted by a figure uh, that was quite mysterious and was looking for an amulet. And yes. you went around uh, asking a little girl. Uh, mm-hmm. And she looks at you and is uh, making eye contact with you, the tabaxi. Uh, and I, I asked her if she, what did I ask her? If she knew who I was or whose coat this was or did she recognize me? Yeah. I asked her something. Yeah, she's definitely looking at you intently. Okay. Uh, so yeah, now what do you want to do? I want to approach her. Okay. And very as friendly as Drunky can muster. And Drunky's going to say, "Do you know who I am?" Cuz that's not creepy at all. <laughs> uh, she is there, you know, she's about 5 or 6 years old. She's, you know, kind of holding on to her mom's uh, you know, skirts as her mom is a little bit distracted haggling for some food from a local merchant there and she looks at you uh and you know you are not you know completely out of place in this town uh tabaxi are known but it is a bit uncommon and uh, you hear her say you are a kitty i love kitties okay i know a kitty once he was really nice goodbye he talked to me and went on a boat what? You had a kitty once? He was really tall, just like you. What was his name? Um, I don't know, but he was nice. Where did he go? He left on a boat. Do you know where he went? Mm, no, but he, you, I was really sad. Do you know what, where the boat is? What boat it was? Uh, it had really big sails. And does, it, your, does your mom know some information? Mm, my mom didn't want me to talk to cats and she looks down and that's when her mom kind of turns he's like what do you want hi my name is delilah two shoes i yeah. think you might have information about my brother who and i who is information some, i think your daughter has information about my my brother daryl uh okay roll me a persuasion check and you said you, you jingled your uh I jingle some coins. All right. You uh, have advantage because her ears definitely Ooh. perk up at uh, coin. Ooh, that's not bad. About 18. 18, eh? All right. Well, she says, oh, it's, it's going to cost you. Show me, yeah. show me your money. I pull out a couple of silver pieces. <laughs> I won't even pay for my bread I'm trying to buy from this crook. Oh, sorry. And we'll uh, pick Wrong it up. Pocket. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll pick it up there next time. Trying as, to get uh, a baseline here, okay? We'll see uh, how, how <laughs> uh, this haggling goes uh, next time on Dragon Talk. 
much does a loaf of bread cost in this town?